Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. When Nick asked me to preach on leadership this morning, uh, I first said, well, how about Hebrews 13? And uh, he was like, well, that's actually what I preached at your church the last time I installed an elder. I was like, yeah, back at you. I can come and I don't have to prepare. Um, But uh, on a little prayer walk on the Fullerton Trails a couple of weeks ago, I think God might live on the Fullerton Trails. How about you? Um, I, I sensed him nudge me towards John 21, which is... The post-denial restoration of Peter around a coal fire. There's, there's a reason, though, why I believe this text is, is salient and relevant. And that is that leadership in the church is not in vogue. Uh, our two sons, young adults, gave each other for Christmas those little digital Casio watches that are in vogue, apparently. Cheap junk, but tragically hip. And I said to them, those were in vogue in 1992. It's taken 40 years for them to come back into fashion. Cool. Maybe shepherding will come back into fashion in 40 years. Right now, it's not. And there's a reason for that. I think um, one of the reasons is uh, 2022 was just, or 2021 too, was uh, a tough year. It was actually called the big quit for pastors in USA, or the great resignation. Uh, A Barna study said that 41% of American pastors, when asked in 2022, were considering quitting. And uh, 3,000 did per month. And uh, in large part, that was due to the considerable conundrum of COVID. Uh, the tribal polarization around politics and race and masks and vaccines and meeting dynamics and pastors realizing that people actually felt more deeply convicted about social convictions than the gospel. And that was deeply discouraging. Uh, But it wasn't only immature sheep. There was a lot of immature shepherds too. And around that time, there have been many, way too many public scandals of immorality and accusations of abuse around pastors and a fascinating and tragic Lifeway research moment uh, said that public opinion of the trustworthiness of pastors in the USA in 2022 was at a historic low. It had dropped 30% in 10 years to 37% trustworthiness. In other words, one in every three people in USA thought, Pastors were trustworthy. Below trustworthiness of nurses, doctors, police officers, teachers, uh, around the same kind of trustworthy levels of real estate agents. Just a little bit higher than secondhand car salesmen. And that's hard. It's, it's, it's not in vogue. And, and so into that milieu... Jesus speaks. He speaks the restoration of a failed leader in Peter. He also speaks an affirmation to faithful leaders, 
John in particular. And I do just want to say thank you so much as a church for your faithful care for the flock. So many of you have been faithful in a time where it's been inconvenient to be faithful. And so let's read together John 21, 1 to 22. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, said, said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The third post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples, and there's a haunting beauty to this one, isn't there? At Peter's initiative, the disciples go fishing 
They're career fishermen, and yet they are failed fishermen. And this man shouts from a hundred yards off in the morning mist, children, how's your fishing? That must have stung a little bit. These adult men being called children. And then he called them to cast their nets onto the other side, and they got this massive haul of 153 fish. And at that time, John the Beloved, the author of this gospel, must have recalled a similar scene about three years earlier when Jesus had done the same. Cast your nets onto the other side. And he recognized, it is Jesus. It's the Lord. And as soon as he says this, Peter takes initiative again, impulsive as ever. I don't know why he puts a garment on to swim and doesn't take it off, other than it happened. It just authenticates this historical passage. And he swims towards Jesus. And so the scene is set for this fish breakfast conversation that is a probing conversation and a restoring conversation. And I want us to see the the very ordinary scene set here. Fishing, rowing, swimming, baked bread, a coal fire, barbecued fish. Matt Nethers said to me one day, you can never preach without talking about food. I'm fulfilling the caricature here, Matt. God talks to us through food. But can we see that the resurrected Christ, having conquered death, disarmed Satan, redeemed the world through his precious blood, now serves breakfast on the beach to his friends. As Eugene Peterson says, Jesus' life intersects the ordinary circle of our lives. Our business ventures, failed or not, our breakfast table conversations, our family dinners. It's a reminder that that the resurrection of Christ is not only about eternal life one day when we die. It's a reminder that the resurrection life of Christ brings abundant life into every area of our ordinary lives. And Jesus, showing this great interest in the ordinary, now calls a failed disciple to be a shepherd. And I want to look at four dynamics of of leadership that we see around this charcoal fire. We first see the tensions of a leader. Secondly, we see the heart of a leader. Thirdly, we see the task of a leader. And fourth, the call of a leader. First, the, the tensions of a leader. I had never before seen the uncommon rivalry between Peter and John. Peter, the ever-impulsive, swashbuckling, self-appointed bodyguard of Jesus, who just a couple of days before had said, they'll deny you, I'll never deny you. The guy who's classically like, swipe first, aim later, takes off Malchus's ear in defense of Jesus. Jesus has to fix the mess. The guy who has denied Jesus three times, one gospel says, and he called down curses 
He wasn't cursing himself or the servant who asked him. He was called, calling down curses on his Lord in denial. And this wasn't just a disciple. This was one of the three best friends of Jesus. And yet he is still leading. Come, let's go fishing. And all these guys follow. And then when John recognizes Jesus as Jesus, it says as soon as he says this, Peter just dives into the water. Peter is an impulsive leader. Peter is a natural leader. Peter is going to Peter. I mean, he's still got the stains of failure on his conscience. It doesn't stop him from leading. And this is one of the tragedies of the charismatic convicted leader is that they're going to lead. Where they're going to lead is another question, but they're going to lead and people are going to follow. So many people have been hurt by that. And I think John is onto it. Because John is not impulsive, John is intuitive. John is a deep, brooding, affectionate disciple. He refers to himself twice as the disciple who Jesus loves. And another time, the disciple who rested his head upon Jesus' chest. Just a chapter before, John says, as they raced each other to the tomb to find Jesus, I got there before Peter. <laughs> there's rivalry, there's competitiveness between these two. John is the only male disciple to be faithful to Jesus at the cross. The three Marys were there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the wife of Clopas. John was the only one. Thank you, ladies. You are often more faithful than we are. But John wants us to know, you might all love Peter. You might all follow Peter, but Jesus loves me. <laughs> Jesus and I have got a good thing going. In fact, Jesus is the one who entrusted me with the care of his mother. And he might be compelling and charismatic, but I'm faithful. There is an incredible tension going on here. And the crazy thing is that these disciples continue to follow Peter in his impulsiveness. And what's even more wild is Jesus doesn't seem to be trying to tame Peter. He's certainly going to get to the heart of his pride, his arrogance, his self-reliance, his tendency to overpromise and underdeliver. But he's not trying to make Peter like John. Post this conversation and post Pentecost, well, at Pentecost, it's the same bold, larger-than-life Peter that Jesus would use by his Spirit to see 3,000 saved and added. It's not Peter's bold brashness that's the problem. It's his self-reliance. For as long as I have been in pastoral teams and led pastoral teams, and it's coming up for 30 years now, I know, I don't even look 30. <laughs> Hardly. I've seen these natural tensions. When, when teams have tensions, it's not generally over major theological difference. It's often over style, preference, personality, and philosophy. It's one person wants to go deeper. Another person wants to go further. One's about spiritual formation. The other's about mission. 
And healthy teams have these tensions in them. And Jesus seems okay to not want to solve it. And our tendency, I wish I could preach a whole sermon on this, is because you and I each fall, this is two categories, there's many more than this, but you and I would tend to associate or, 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 or like the Peter style or the John style more. We tend to want to dismiss the other. So if we like John, who's deep and reflective and intuitive, we will tend to dismiss Peter's as toxic leaders. And if we like Peter, we like mission, and we like, want to go further and reach and transform, we will dismiss John's as mystic. I want to say Jesus builds his church with the compelling team of both. In the early church in Jerusalem, these two were a potent force. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. But for now, there's just annoyance and irritation. And I want to ask, man, are you willing, for the sake of Jesus' church, to deal with people who are different from you? Are you willing to be self-aware and say, man, either I'm insensitive or otherwise perhaps I'm oversensitive? I remember years ago, conversation with Nick in a leadership moment. I said, Nick, I think you need to be a little bit more sensitive to that person. And Nick said, Alan, I think you need to be a little less sensitive to that person. <laughs> and both can be true at the same time. It is the reconciling grace of God that Nick and I are working so closely together right now because we are so different. I want to say there are other kinds of differences here, and God is not going to honor your preference by keeping you apart. I just wonder what we think heaven is going to be like. Do you think it's all the Enneagram 8s there? <laughs> and the 3s there? And the 4s there? Well, well, you know, let's, do you think it's the Presbyterians and the Pentecostals all? Do you think it's the Republicans and the Democrats all separate? Huh? We get it right down here. I'm amazed that Jesus and his team had tensions, not just between John and Peter. Think about Simon the Zealot, a terrorist trying to overthrow the Roman government, and Matthew the tax collector, a puppet. He worked for the IRS, for heaven's sake. And Jesus doesn't seem to want to solve that tension. He manages it. Andy Stanley, and I don't agree with him on everything, but he's got a great leadership quote about this. He says, most Issues in church are not problems to solve. They are tensions to manage. And so if you're impulsive like Peter, have people around you that can push back and slow down. But if you like deep and mystic like John, have people that are going to push you on. That's the way Jesus builds his church. And I don't know why this thing keeps on pulling on my ear, but let's go on. We see the heart of a leader. The heart of a leader. Peter is about to have heart surgery done on him. Jesus is going to push and prod until it hurts. And you say, Jesus would never hurt anyone. He will hurt us to heal us. Jesus is going to be like a skilled surgeon here. But I want us to see the kindness of Jesus that is going to lead us and lead Peter to repentance in this moment. Children, verse 4, do you have any fish? I say, man, that's real patronizing. Are you belittling these adult failed 
fishermen? Are you getting back at them for failing you? Actually, that word children is a beautiful word in the Greek. It's not just kids. It talks about a child's relationship to God. It's children of God. How's your fishing going? And what Jesus is doing is he's continuing this beautiful post-resurrection theme that his failed friends are his brothers and sisters. I love the kindness of Jesus. If it was me who was deserted on the cross, abandoned and denied, I would just want to rub it in just a little bit that I was faithful and they weren't. But think of John chapter 20, verse 17, where Mary Magdalene finds Jesus post-resurrection and tries to cling to him. And, and Jesus says, Mary, do not cling to me because I have not yet ascended to my Father. And go and tell my brothers that I'm ascending to my Father and their Father. I say those words are stunningly beautiful. That is the gospel. That Jesus was willing to be forsaken by his Father to adopt unfaithful disciples as his brothers, as sons and daughters of his father. You see, if we don't see the, the kindness of the gospel of adoption as the backdrop for repentance, we'll say, oh, Jesus is just being cruel. No, Jesus is being incredibly kind, but his kindness is leading Peter to repentance. And he does the same for you and me. Some of you here feel like I have failed Jesus and he would call you children. You don't think your good behavior got you adopted, do you? So you don't think your bad behavior will get you unadopted, do you? This kindness leads us to repentance. So against the backdrop of this kindness, he begins to do some surgery with this counseling session. He asks seemingly the same question three times, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter seems to say the same thing, but we have to understand a bit of Greek to realize <laughs> the incredible incisiveness of what's going on here. Love in the English language is incredibly bland, isn't it? I can love my wife, I can love my dog, I can love... Kentro's beet salad. <laughs> Baklava's good as well, yeah. But actually what Jesus asks is, Peter, do you agapao me? Which means, do you love me with the God kind of faithful love? And Peter's response, he's really clever actually. He doesn't say, no, I don't. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I philo you which is a lower kind of love, which is a brotherly kind of love, to kiss someone like a brother. In other words, he's saying, look, I love you, Jesus, but I don't love you like that. And Jesus pushes the knife in a little bit deeper, says, Peter, do you agapow me? And he says, Lord, you know that I feel you, I brotherly love you. And then Jesus pushes it in further a third time and says, Peter, do you even feel me? Like, do you even love me like a brother? And it says, at this point, Peter is grieved. And at that point, the man who's so self-assured, they'll deny you, I'll never deny you. You can see there's repentance here. 
It's true repentance because he doesn't boast. He just says, Lord, you alone know that I love you. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you failed me. And he's saying, yes, Lord, I failed you. And only you know the depths or shallowness of my love for you. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 7, where he says, Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life, but worldly sorrow leads to death. There's, there's godly sorrow here in Peter. How do we know this? Well, well, firstly, because he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, well, Lord, you know, my life was on the line here around that coal fire. He also doesn't have self-pity. It's like, yeah, you're, you're right, man, I failed you, and I'm just condemned to a lifetime of bad fishing from here on out. No, he's just like, Lord, you alone know. It's amazing how Jesus is wanting Peter to retrace his steps. He, he denied Jesus around a coal fire, and now he is restoring Peter around a coal fire. Peter denied him three times, and now he asks a question three times, a probing question, and there's a restoration going on. Tim Keller says about this moment, he says, it's like Jesus is saying, Peter, you've failed me, but because you have plunged your failures into the depths of my grace. This failed leader will become one of my best leaders. That's the beauty of the grace of God. When we stop making excuses and we plunge our failures into the depths of his grace, there's not just forgiveness, there is restoration. And I want to say, this is the heart of leadership. Peter, from this time on, walked, and we can see it in his writings, with an incredible sense of broken-hearted gladness for God's mercy. There was no ounce of self-entitled, self-assured, I'm the man, I'm the bodyguard. I love at the end of his, well, actually midway in his first epistle, where he says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. He's quoting Isaiah 53, each of us has turned to his own way. All of us, not like all of you, all of us. He says, but now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Now, he says, it's not like just then, like every day I'm returning. Like that hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. If you want to be a leader in God's church, whether it's an elder, whether it's a deacon, whether it's a community group leader, a worship leader, whatever kind of leader, a good leader realizes, I am a lost sheep. I was a lost sheep, and I still have lost sheep tendencies. Good shepherds, Remember that they are lost sheep, and they live with broken-hearted gladness that the good shepherd, the great shepherd, has been gracious to me. And you know, that is the difference between what Chuck DeGroat calls self-awareness and self-regulation. We can be self-aware. We've got more tools of self-awareness today than ever before in history. You name it, 
We've got it. Working genius. Enneagram. Strengths finder. Whatever it is, and they're great. I've done them all. But we can be a self-aware. We can even be aware of our shadow side. But actually, the difference between self-awareness and self-regulation Chuck DeCroate says this, it's the capacity to self-regulate tells the real story of growth and maturity in a leader. It's actually that you've allowed Jesus to do heart surgery to you, and you've been still under the knife, and you haven't said, but this, but that. It's from this moment that transformation began. How is it that the denier becomes not just a bold witness at Pentecost, but actually is crucified upside down as a faithful martyr to Jesus. And this is what Jesus is prophesying here. One day people will lead you where you do not want to go. You'll stretch out your hands. What happened? Heart surgery happened. True repentance that led to life. That's the heart of a leader. And I want to encourage you to keep Keep near to the wonder of his mercy. May we never lose the wonder of his mercy. Gifting, experience, anointing, skill is fantastic. It's not enough what Jesus is looking for in the heart of his shepherds is the remembrance. I am a straying sheep, but Jesus has brought me to himself time and time again. Thirdly, the task of a leader. How are you doing? You doing all right? Peter, do you love me? You asked that three times, but we know that each time he answers, there's actually a commissioning. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Of course, Jesus' mercy here is more than forgiveness. It's restoration. It's reinstatement. With every do you love me, came a call to shepherd God's flock. And that word tend is the word poimen, which means to shepherd. And it's fascinating that Jesus uses this image, this blue-collar, really not respected image of a farmer as the primary picture for what it is to lead his people. And isn't it interesting that Jesus uses the also not very attractive image of sheep to describe his people, tending to be wayward, vulnerable, not able to fend for themselves, not even able to feed themselves, tending to go with the flock, with the crowd. And he's saying, this is a dirty job, Peter, but this is a glorious job. And we really see a three-part job description. And Mitch, think about this. The, 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 the first is to, to feed my lambs. Shepherds are called to feed people with the words of God, the holy words of God that bring them life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's why it's a dirty but a very holy task. A shepherd is there to take the holy words of God and feed people that they might have life. And sometimes it's from here. Sometimes it's in a circle in a home. 
Sometimes it's across a coffee shop table, but to have the holy words of God, to be stewards of those, is a holy task. And then, of course, there's the call to care for, care for my lambs or tend my lambs. That a shepherd is there not to think primarily about his own or her own self-care, but actually to lay down self-care for the care of others. It's a sacrificial task. Jesus, the good shepherd, says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then intrinsic to shepherd is leadership. There's feeding, there's care, and there's leadership. I hear some people say, oh, leadership is not a Bible word. What do you do with Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. There's something beautiful about the people of God feeding on the words of God in the presence of God pouring out the praises of God and leaning into the mission of God. That is a holy and a noble task. It's not better than business people. It's not better than being a full-time mom or a banker or a nurse or a teacher, but there's a holiness that we need to see. And one of the things that I've seen is the tendency for the church in these days to lean towards specialists. Counselors, therapists, spiritual directors that are so needed. Trust me, I share a bed with a spiritual director. I can't diss them. (laughs) My spiritual director has been a lifesaver for me the last six years. But I want to say their role is different to that of the shepherd. Their role is much more like the farm veterinarian. where When there's the crisis, you call the farm vet in that's got the medicines, got the syringe, and they clock in, they clock out, they bill you, and thank you very much for that. But actually, it's not the farm vet that at 3 o'clock in the morning is awake going, I wonder how my flock is. That's a unique task. Paul said, I carry daily the burden of all the churches. Let's be careful that we don't put more credence on specialists than we do on shepherds. It's the beauty of not just tending to a flock, but leading a flock into a preferred future. Nick shared with me the wonderful three, two, one vision that God has spoken to him and he's sharing with you. Again, God spoke through a smoked rib recipe. It's wonderful. Three, two, one. Three churches in the next 10 years. Two buildings in the next 10 years. A thousand new people coming to Christ in the next 10 years. That's a wonderful vision. I spoke to a shepherd years ago saying, what's the biggest danger to sheep? And he said to me, besides predators, it's that they do not move. Because if they don't move, they will get foot rot and die. If we only see shepherds as those to feed us and care for us individually, but not those to lead us into the purposes and mission of God, we will get foot rot. We will become self-absorbed. And so leading you on is caring for you. 
Even Jesus, chief shepherd, said, I lay down my life for the sheep, but he said, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must go to them. Pick up the missional heart of Jesus, the good shepherd. That is something of the task of a leader. And some of you do that in general ways. Every time you open your home, open your wallet, open your, the word, open your mouth in prayer, open your fridge to care for the church of God, do you realize Jesus is experiencing love? Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. You know, I can only find three places in Scripture that Jesus says, I experience love from my disciples. The one, John 15, if you love me, you obey my commands. Two, care for the poor. What you did to the least, you did for me. The third, when you care for my flock. Do you understand that Jesus experiences love when we care for his flock? And you might do it in an official vocational way, and there are more of you that the Lord is going to call into that. You might do it in a general way. Every time you care for the flock, Jesus experiences love. So thank you for doing that, and keep doing it, and do it more, please. Finally, the call of a leader. Peter, one day, you're going to stretch out your hands. Someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go. Peter, you're going to be martyred for me. And Peter turns around, and again, you see this rivalry. I mean, he's a transformed man, but Peter will still Peter, right? He's still Peter. He turns around. John's following. All insecure. What are they getting up to? I thought I was the favorite one. I thought I was the beloved, right? And he says, what about him? What about him? And some of the most offensive and freeing words are what Jesus says to Peter. Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? You follow me. Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy. Jesus was saying, Peter, there's a particular call I have for you. It's a costly call. And it's different to John's call. But I have a particular grace package for my particular call. And if you compare, you will rob yourself of that grace package. I do not have John's grace package for you because your call is different. What is that to you? Oh, well, Lord, how come he's leading worship and I'm just on base? How come she's a deacon and I'm not? How come he's in the inner circle relationally and I'm not? How come he's on staff and I'm serving as a marketplace pastor? How come they've come in and I've been here for 10 years and they seem to be the new favorites? What is that to you? You follow me. And you can say, oh, that sounds harsh. No, this is the kindness of the Savior who was bastardized that you and I might be adopted. He's actually being incredibly kind. He's saying, don't allow comparison to kill joy. Actually kill comparison and let joy live. You follow me. I believe the most pressing question facing the church today is not about shepherding. It's will those who consider themselves to be Christians 
actually show themselves to be disciples. You follow me. And there is a grace from our Lord Jesus Christ for each of you to follow him. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, our Savior, merciful one, reinstating, restoring, calling. Holy Spirit, I I ask that you would take this word and you would multiply it, that you would heal, that you would call forth, that you would bring forth a fresh willingness to care for your flock and people. Lord, that you would even speak fresh prophetic calling to some people that have resisted. Lord, that you would restore some leaders in the church that have got burnt and bruised. That you would do what only you could do with this word. And I ask, Lord, that this church in the next 10 years would run free following you, free from the curse of comparison, free from the curse of self-absorption, but running together as your flock, following under shepherds, ultimately following the chief shepherd. And everyone said... This is from Peter's letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, which Alan detailed so well, Peter would know what God's great mercy is. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance imperishable and undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's what we celebrate now. As we go to the table, we celebrate the gift. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because He bought this for us. It is His broken body and it is shed blood that enables us to taste of the mercy of God. It is at the table where we hear the words, I love you. I love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. So I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus right now, to go to the table at the back and on the side, there's wine in the front, to take the elements of communion, bring them back to your seats, and we'll take that together. Peter continues to write to the churches dispersed through persecution, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. Though we do not see him, we rejoice. We hold in our hands his body broken for our wholeness. Take and eat. see you, Jesus. We believe in you, and we rejoice with joy inexpressible, filled with glory, because one day we will obtain the outcome of the faith, the salvation of our souls, and we drink in remembrance of your blood shed for that to become a reality.
We are dismissed. Those of you that have kids, I want to encourage you to grab them from the kids' ministry. But Patrick's going to continue. And I want to encourage you that um, in response to maybe something that Lisa said or something that Alan brought up, but particularly in the whole area of responding to God's love with a love for His sheep. If you want to receive prayer, you want someone to stand with you, we have people on the left to my right. But I want to dismiss you. Patrick's going to continue a song. Those of you that just want to bask a little in his presence, let's go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.